0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly, and today I have with me a very special guest, and he's a very special guest for multiple reasons. One is I love to follow this guy on Twitter, and two, I just really love his name. This is Mr. Eki Tep Sipornchai.
1: (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And you said it perfectly
0: i I cheated uh I have to admit brother uh i I got it off of chris's i think Chris a conversation or or a sermon that someone had, and they said your name, and so I cheated and and got it
1: from there yeah, it sounds good
0: but uh yeah, well, you know today. Today's episode is quite a bit different. Typically, this podcast is an apologetic dealing with issues that come up uh, within the Word of Faith, Charismatic, New Apostolic Reformation. But occasionally, we get on and talk about current issues, and today's one of those impromptu issues. So, neither one of us has prepared. We're just going to have a conversation between two brothers, two pastors, and hopefully, Lord
1: willing, it will edify the body of Christ. So, what has gone on today? Wow. Yeah, this has been crazy. And um, I was mentioning to you earlier, I've been tweeting about hell and defending the eternality of hell, but 2021 keeps getting in the way. And I I mean, apparently this, obviously this was the day that if Trump was going to be sworn in as president, this would be the day that um, you know Mike Pence and others would get in the way and, and block the certification process and, and reject the electors. And then, of course, we've got all the people that gathered for the protest in Washington, D.C., and, and it ended up turning violent. People stormed the Capitol building, were breaking in and taking over offices and all that. And so I, I knew there were going to be a lot of people there. I didn't anticipate the, the violence. Um, and and certainly I didn't anticipate it from those who were Trump supporters. And so that, that was a surprise to me. And as soon as I saw that, um, I took to Twitter and say, hey, this is wrong. I don't support this. And you did the same thing. So
0: yeah, a- absolutely. And we'll probably get in this because there are some big Eva guys who have jumped on board to the this is terrible, riots shouldn't happen. But they were pretty silent with all the riots over the summer. So maybe we'll get in that maybe we won't, but we'll we'll see. But absolutely, you know, as believers, as Christians, we certainly condemn this type of violence. It's uncalled for. But I, I think there's a much bigger issue at hand within the Christian body. You know, as I've watched Twitter, as I've watched Facebook, you know, looked at some Instagram, it seems to me that a lot of believers have, I'm going to say innocently, put way too much faith in a political system.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, and I, I think part of it has been just the sharp divide between the left and the right, and especially over the last few presidencies, starting with Barack Obama when he took over, and especially with the rise of social justice, the black liberation theology, and really this year with the COVID shutdowns, and then all the instances that were coming up with police and all the complaints and the writing that ensued from there, I think the two sides ended up becoming even more and more separated. And so I think it's natural for each of us to want what's best for the country, right? God told Jeremiah when the Israelites were going into exile that he wants them to pray for their welfare, right? And so that's what we want to do. There's nothing wrong with wanting what's good for the country. Sometimes that gets tagged as, Christian nationalism, which I completely reject. There's nothing wrong with wanting what's good for the country. There's nothing wrong with being a Trump supporter. There's nothing even wrong with supporting MAGA, you know, the motto, make America great again. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that, but you can certainly take it to an extreme. And we've seen a lot of people do that to the point where really their hope is riding in this idea that somehow the election results will be overturned. And really, I think for you and I going all the way back to election week, we could see there was a very, very slim chance of that happening, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know,
0: you you made a really good point there. And I think uh, I I hear a lot of this discussion in the church. And and again, what concerns me is what's happening in the church, right? The it, I, I'm concerned by the things happening in the country, but what I mean is I expect the world. The, the godless to act just like they're godless, right? I expect sin to abound. I, I expect evil to move forward in in a world where they've rejected God. But I expect the church to respond very differently. And I think this past year, we've seen the church act a lot like the world, right? A lot of infighting, a, a, a lot of just political jabbing, a, a lot of... Um, uh, just immaturity in, in a lot of ways. So, absolutely, it, I, and this, this idea of Christian nationalism, I, I still don't even know what that is. I, I, mean, I, I mean, really, I understand the sentiment, and I think the sentiment is horrible and wrong uh, because I'm a Christian, um, and I'm very thankful for the country that God has me in, right? So, I pray for our country, but if you go to the Apostle Paul Aren't, we're supposed to pray for our government and for our leaders, right? So it's perfectly right to love the country that you're in, to appreciate the country that you're in, uh, to be a quote-unquote nationalist in that sense. And, and, of course, you can take that to an extreme, um, but I haven't seen as much of that extreme as I have the Marxist right side of, of things, which is far dangerous in,
1: in my mind in reality where we are. Yeah, and I think you bring up a very important point, because we have been fighting against Marxism, critical race theory, most of the year over Twitter. And what they have done is saying, well, there's an opposite issue with Christian nationalism. Now, I think that there is an extreme kind of segment of people that... Indeed, viewed the United States as being Israel, right? So this is the light to the world. God is going to operate through the United States. Uh, Donald Trump is God's special anointed leader, and in some cases, even worshiping him as almost like a messiah figure. Yeah, and of course, you and I would both completely denounce that. Absolutely. But one of the one of the reasons why I'm not as concerned about that, even though that to me is a cult group that is not the church. One of the reasons why I haven't been as concerned about that is that. This is that group is really almost a direct overlap of really the word of faith um, folks, the charismatic, the health, wealth, prosperity folks. That to me, if you are a real Christian, if you have any discernment, if you understand the Bible, that's that should be very easy to discern and say, to look at that and say, wait a second, that's not Christian. You know, you listen to someone like a Paula White or a Joyce Myers, I, you should be able to look at that and say, wait, something doesn't sound right. You listen to Joel Olstein, wait a second. He's not going to the scriptures and he's giving us a lot of man-centered things and seems to be quoting more often from the Old Testament with all these promises to Israel. So I think of Paul Washer when he was describing Joel Osteen and he said that he's actually not of the opinion that Joel Osteen is a danger to the church because people who are truly in the church don't have too much trouble discerning him. He's of the opinion that Joel Osteen is judgment against America. He's essentially giving America what they want, which is not good. And so I I look at this extreme group, and to me, they're almost a direct overlap of the word of faith, new apostolic reformation, which I'm sure you spend a lot of time talking about as part of the apologetic. And so this is an extreme group. I don't consider them to be a part of the church. I consider them to be way outside. They don't treat Scripture as their authority. They don't treat Scripture as being sufficient. They are very much involved in all these visions and prophecies that go way outside of Scripture. And so this is the group that I consider the christian nationalist now within the church and, and this is true with my church it's probably true with yours i had to address really the disappointment that a lot of people had with the election results and you know that i had COVID for a couple of weeks and my first sunday back i, I did address it with them it was a christmas service i said this is going to be the most unusual christmas service you've ever heard and I started off with a number of grievances against the government about how COVID has been handled, how it's been politicized, how I believe in my heart. I, I told him, look, you don't have to believe this, but I believe that Trump won. I believe that he won big. I believe that he won every swing state, but that's not a test of Christian faith, right? So I just said, look, that's just my opinion. You don't have to yeah. buy into that opinion. And then I went into really the um, influence that China has over the country. And, and my idea, what I wanted to get across is that, look, we all see what's happening if we're really paying attention and looking into all this. And for any one of us, we're human, we're going to be frustrated by it. But really, the Christmas story is reminding us that God sent the Son of God in human flesh in order to establish himself as the king over all of creation, right? And now he's reigning, and we know that he's going to return, and we have a promise of resurrection and being with him in all of eternity. So, I wanted to get that out to my flock to let them know, look, I see what you see. I feel what you feel. I believe that government is way outside their jurisdiction in many of the things that they're doing. But ultimately, that's not where our hope is. Our hope is in Christ.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, at the end of the day, that's the point where we're, we're going to make on on this podcast. I, I, you know, I tweeted something early earlier today, and I, I'm pretty amazed at the pushback I got on this. Um, I said to many on the left, political left, the government is their god. Right. So uh, and, and then I said and then I spaced and said to many on the right, the government is their God. And then I quoted, you know, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've seen that in a very big way. It's healthy to want what's right for your country. Uh, we've talked about that. Every Christian, every true Bible believing Christian loves law and justice and order and we we've seen a huge absence of that uh 2020 and now you know six days into 2021 um and and yet we see i think a lot of the fear uh coming into the church is because people have inadvertently trusted the government uh more than they have god god's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands you know thinking oh my goodness what's happening to america Um, You know, this is this is part of his divine plan. He hasn't told us what he's doing. He won't do that. That's not for us to know. But what we do know is that God is sovereign and and that he's going to work these things out ultimately for our good and for his glory. And we have to trust in that
1: yeah amen and i i think of um toby logsman you know toby on twitter toby posted something about habakkuk and habakkuk i think is a great example because you have this prophet that's looking around at the israelites he's seeing just how rebellious they are and how they're worshiping false gods and doing all kinds of things that they're not supposed to be doing according to the mosaic law and he's appealing to god saying god do something about them they're they're rebelling against you they're they're committing injustice they're unrighteous they're oppressing people whatever the the sins were that he was observing. He was appealing to God to do something in order to correct that or to punish them, and God responded, said, "Oh, I'm doing something. All right, I'm bringing the Chaldeans down against them." Well, the Chaldeans were some of the most wicked, wretched people around, and so Habakkuk was like, "Well, wait a second. You're bringing people that are even worse than us." But we see throughout Scripture that this is the sovereignty of God. This is the sovereignty of God over evil. This is what we call theodicy that. God is sovereign over evil. He uses evil for his good purposes. Yeah. And we see the judgment of God today. We've seen it really over the last few years, especially this in 2020, that Romans 1, 18 to 32, that God hands people over to a depraved mind. He hands them over to a debased mind, over to their lusts and flesh. And so we have to remember that the scriptures are filled with references that remind us that people who are in the household of God are not always guaranteed a smooth and easy ride. In fact, very much the opposite.
0: Yeah, I, you know, that's a good point. I think as American Christians, um, we have to realize that we have been uh, living in a bubble um, when it comes to the majority of Christians in the world and safety and comfort. And I thank God for that, right? We've had it very easy in our country. But the reality is that most Christians in most of the rest of the world – don't live like we do. Um, You you know, they go, they attend Lord's Day service with the expectation that some of them may not make it home, right? And we're just sort of coming into an era where we're getting a lot more pushback, where you're seeing some people even put in jail um, for, you know, what should be and has historically been just rights and freedoms in our country. And um, and yeah, and, and the reality is, I think we, especially when it comes to elections and presidents, we read in scripture how God sets up kings and He takes them down, right? How He puts rulers in charge. And it's easy to read, but when it's not our political party president getting elected, we sort of forget
1: that God is the one who sets up those rulers. Yeah, no, amen, a- amen, and amen to that. I have stressed over and over again that if biden ends up getting sworn in which i fully expected him to be sworn in um, then we can be confident that the reason why he was sworn in is because god ordained him to be our leader now i can actually believe that and at the same time believe that there was election fraud there there's nothing absolutely yeah there's nothing conflicting there because god is not only sovereign over who takes power but he's sovereign over the means by which he takes power and joe biden if we're correct that he won by fraud he's going to be judged for that. Yeah, you know, so we we understand that God is sovereign over the rulers and we're not called to judge whether the rulers got into their position justly or not, righteously or not. What we're called to do is to submit to them, to obey them. And then of course, you know, there's the whole discussion as to what is the limits to which we submit uh, because I do agree with some that you know, we Don't need to submit to outright tyranny, but we have to kind of define what that is. But no, I I agree with you. When we look at Joe Biden being in power, we got to understand that God is sovereign over that. And if you have a church, and this is where one of my biggest complaints over churches in America has been just how thin theology has been taught right? Mm -hmm. There's a very shallow layer of theology. There's a very shallow understanding of God's sovereignty. There's a very shallow understanding of how God has operated throughout the Old and the New Testament. And when we look throughout the Old Testament, we see plenty of examples of how we're just supposed to trust God, no matter what those circumstances are, and trust that God is sovereign. And if something happened that is against what we were hoping for, we still trust in God's sovereignty. And if you have a church that understands God's sovereignty, They might feel the anxiety, they might feel the frustration, but when you remind them of that truth, in my experience, they nod their head and they say, you know what, you're right. And that's an opportunity for us to apply that truth into their lives in a very real way with all that's going on around us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and so we would actually just say that to those who are listening to this podcast right now, if you're stressed out um, about election fraud and about where you see the country going, just take a deep breath and really take a moment to contemplate the sovereignty of God and realize that this is all under his control and things aren't going to happen outside of of you know, of his divine plan. And you can rest in that. It doesn't mean we won't have uncomfortable times ahead. It doesn't mean we may not have suffering ahead. But what it does mean is that we aren't like the world lost without a God who cares about us, right? We, we're we good in that sense. And, and we can find some peace that otherwise we wouldn't have. Just think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you go through and you read of his trials, how many times he was you know, 39 lashes, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was beaten. And yet, um, and so we have to understand, Paul was just human, right? He wasn't a superhuman. He was human, just like you and I. and, And he had to constantly look towards the truth and promises of Christ. And in the midst of all those things, he found a consistent peace and comfort that he wouldn't have had otherwise. And so we we can bring the stress down a little bit, right? Take a deep breath. It's okay.
1: God's got this. Amen. And when we think about Philippians 4, 13, that's one of the most, um, one of those verses that gets completely taken out of context and twisted. But when Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, He prefaces that first in the prior two verses talking about, I have learned to be content with little, I've learned to be content with much. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the idea is that I can be content in whatever situation or circumstance that God brings upon me. And so that's exactly that kind of comfort. But a couple of more examples jump to mind When we think about the very first book written, it's probably the book of Job and you look at the first two chapters of Job, what does Job open up with? The the book of Job opens up with Satan coming before God, wanting to test Job. And God gives him into that temptation. Why? Because he says Job is actually the most righteous man on the earth. And so sometimes also we can think that these trials come because we've specifically done something wrong. And And particularly with America, it's not hard to think that. We've done a lot wrong in America. But sometimes God brings about these trials. In fact, I shouldn't even say sometimes. He always brings about trials in order to glorify himself one way or the other. And so we see that truth right in Job, that Job was going to be afflicted. And you see that in chapters one and two. So the very first two chapters written in the entire scriptures is about God's sovereignty over even Satan to afflict someone even as righteous as Job. And when Job is complaining and he wants his day in court and he believes that he was afflicted unjustly and he wants to be able to hear from god when god finally responds god doesn't even answer his questions or his concerns he basically reminds job hey job look at who i am and remember who you are by appealing to all of creation and all that he has he has done from creation and job ends up repenting in ashes and dust and so it's just a reminder to us that god uses evil and it's Oftentimes a means of punishment, it doesn't always mean it's for punishment, but it's often to reveal who he is. And this is going to be really one of the most exciting times to be a part of the church is to be here during this time in which we will see the United States, I believe, continue its drastic decline morally and really start to turn against the church in terms of free speech and start to look to persecute the church for standing up for biblical truth.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, there's so much good in, in what you just said. And Job is one of my go-to books when I start any teaching on the sovereignty of God, because it gives us that, you know, uh, that, that picture um, from above that we just don't get in our own life, right? You see the conversation between God and Satan, but you also see that there is never a moment where Satan can just do what he wants. God gives him limits and boundaries all along the way. And, and it's always been fascinating to me is what you don't see, um, in, and I don't like to make a lot of cases for what isn't in Scripture, but right. sometimes you can do that with wisdom. But what you don't see is Satan just bucking against and rebelling and pushing God. God sets his boundaries, and that's it, right? And it gives us a good picture of just how... In control, God is right. I mean, that's what we mean when we say sovereign. We don't mean He's just mostly sovereign. We we mean that in in its complete and total sense. And it's a good, it's a great picture. And you're right. At the end, you know, Job ends up with his hands over his mouth. You know, who am I? To question you god um, and 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 we I think John MacArthur made some comments similar, uh, taking a similar posture some weeks back when he talked about he did a sermon where he talked about um, us grumbling against God and basically said don 't do it right and I think two thousand and twenty if we 're honest and i 'm guilty of it I, I have been guilty of it this past year, I have found myself really not grumbling so much against the circumstances, but really kind of grumbling against god and we get, we need to recognize that, and if that's true, we repent of it, and we move forward um, but but god's in control and i I think something else to touch on there is it, it, you know when god when God gives us wicked leaders right i mean hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think most of the time, unlike modern day charismatics and prophets who think they know what's going on before time, we only kind of see a little bit of what God's doing after the fact, right? We can look back and observe, and I think that's the right way and the healthy way to do that. You know, generally, um, when God gives a place over to wicked servants, it's out of judgment. And I'll, I'll be quick to say that it's judgment that's meant to bring the church to repentance, right? So it's a redeeming judgment in that sense. What are your thoughts on that, brother?
1: No, I I agree completely. Um, And there's really a twofold aspect of this judgment. There's judgment against really the wickedness of the world. That's the Romans 1, 18 to 32 that we see playing out before us. But it's also a purifying, uh, it's meant as a purifying, um, to, to have a purifying effect upon the church. And so God is purifying the church of Jesus Christ. Peter says that judgment begins in the household of God. And I think, and it's funny, on Twitter, I actually had a interaction with someone about this asking me how god purifies the church and in one sense we can look back at 2020 and one of the things i'm thankful for is actually the line between those who we can trust and those who we can't trust became more clear There were a lot of people previously that five years ago, I would have said, hey, this is a good person to listen to. You can go ahead and listen to their messages. And now I'd be like, no way, don't listen to them because they're going to lead you astray. So what it is are these difficult circumstances where there's so much pressure from the culture. There's so much pressure from media, from the indoctrination that's happening in universities that really the question comes down to, do you believe the word of God? Or are you going to give in to the pressures from society and man? And so within the church, that's meant to have a purifying effect because it really reveals to us where our faith really is. And for churches that remain faithful upon the word of God, you're probably going to lose church members over this. You're going to have people that are leaving saying, I don't agree with you. You should be doing more for, for social justice. You should accept more of these Marxist storylines. Well, tough. Either you sit under the teaching that's here, that is biblical, or you find another church and it ends up having a purifying effect upon those churches who are faithful. And then for those churches that give in, I think we can look back at all of history and that churches that have compromised with culture and the world They don't last very long. They lose their relevance relatively quickly. So I agree with you. This is meant to grow the church. And it's just like when you go to one of these countries where Christianity is persecuted. You know, Christians are persecuted. You know, a lot of those folks have to worship underground. Every day they're at the threat of being arrested, having their livelihood taken but they understand how important their worship is, and they have counted the cost and are willing to bear that cost. And for us in America, we haven't done that. We haven't had to count the cost, but pretty soon we will.
0: Yeah, I think... I think back in times in history, biblical history where you know God left enemies in the land so that his people would know how to fight, and so maybe there's some aspect of that you know it 's in god 's character to do what 's best for the church um, and, and a weak church is, is never what 's good for the church, and so I think there's some of that in there um, that it, There was something I wanted to go uh, back
1: to I think it was the people that have um, complained about what's happening today, but had not been complaining for the last eight or nine months. Was that it?
0: Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's it. Um, it so, it, it's interesting. Well, let me tie that into something you said. I, I think 2020 has exposed, and I actually did a couple podcasts on that, has exposed a lot of Blessings, I, I think, for the church, a lot of good things for the church. Um, I, I think it's taught the church in America that we have a really poor ecclesiology. Um, We we don't know what the church's function and purpose really is. And so, because we don't know those things, we have given up what the church is is and supposed to do, or at least many have, and have bought into these worldly ideologies and systems. Um, Yeah, another thing that I think has been exposed, you know, just like you said, is our value for Scripture I mean, especially in the Reformed Calvinistic camps, we talk about things like Sola Scriptura, uh, but but then here comes uh, social justice and Sola Scriptura sort of just gets thrown out the window, right? Um, and and so, I, I think it's very easy for comfortable Christians, and we've been very comfortable in America, and I'm not saying that um, in, in a purely derogative way. I, I'm, I'm thankful that God has given this country so long uh, of a time period where Christians have experienced ease and peace and could grow in that, but I think we've gotten a little lazy and complacent in that. Where now, uh, if if the world tells us, "Oh, well, yeah, there's every everyone's racist if you're you know not a particular ethnicity," well, we sit back and we think, "Oh, well, maybe that's true," when really we should say, "Well, what does Scripture say about that?" Right? Everything we get from from the world from other sources, should be compared to the truths, the principles that we have in scripture. Scripture speaks to every possible uh, situation ideology you can think of um, for the world around us now it doesn 't tell you um, you know how to plant your garden, but it definitely tells you that if you don 't work you don 't eat right so we we can take those things and and apply them to things that come up same thing with social justice and the whole black lives matter uh critical race theory intersectionality um and 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 a lot of that's coming to the church and instead of the church saying well how has god defined the church what's the church's purpose what's the pastor's purpose right i mean you and i i I, you and i don't get to just do whatever we want in the church Right. right god has ordered Uh, the church in such a way that we have a mandate to follow it's not my job to be a community center builder that's not my function and role as a pastor Um, should we do good things in the community absolutely Uh, but it's not the church's job right to build the community in that way it's the church's job to make disciples and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ right? That, that's one of the primary functions of the church. And the pastor's primary function is to shepherd his people predominantly through the preaching and teaching of the word. Um, and, and so, when we get off track, and I think we've seen that in big ways this past year, we start seeing just what
1: we're seeing. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And uh, a couple of things. One, you were talking about um, hard work. I mean, we we, we, want, we want to be able to work hard. And when we think about these social justice storylines, a lot of the premise here is really on how everything is about white supremacy. Everything is about white privilege. Um, we've had people like Jamar Tisby say that even hard work is really a value of white privilege, which is actually a very racist statement. Because me coming from an Asian background, um, we have a culture of hard work. And that's how I've been raised by my parents. And so do you want to go overseas and tell Asian people that the only reason that they work hard is because they needed white people to show them that? I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. And so this country, the reason why we've enjoyed so much prosperity for so long is this was a country, not necessarily a Christian country. I wouldn't say that, but it was a country that was built on Judeo-Christian values. Absolutely. And so there was there was a moral center even though it may not be 100% biblical but it was very very overlapping with a lot of biblical values that we could call a Judeo-Christian Uh, society and so that's how we've been able to thrive that there is this value of hard work that you know if you don't if you're not willing to work you don't eat and i would even establish that there is a theology of work that goes all the way back to the beginning all the way back to the garden of eden right where adam is created to keep and to cultivate the ground i often point out hey look at the sabbath what is the sabbath the sabbath is a rest day well what does that imply you're doing the other six days it implies that you're working right ecclesiastes what what's the what's the conclusion at the end it's to fear God and obey his commandments. But before he gets there, what does he say multiple times? What has God given us to do, but to enjoy the fruits of our labors now getting. So that idea of hard work is just getting thrown out where people just want everything for free. And, with that it's getting thrown out as well because judeo-christian values are no longer important to this new generation but going to the church i think you bring up a very important point that ecclesiology has been a lost doctrine amongst the church and i think the evangelical movement is largely to blame for that because they put so much of a focus upon personal faith. So we have sacrificed ecclesiology just in order to really kind of be pragmatic with our evangelism trying to win people to christ and say okay well now you have the holy spirit all that matters is your personal relationship when the scriptures make it very clear that no when you're saved you are saved into the body of christ yeah and none of the epistles in the new testament and i've made this argument before none of the epistles in the new testament make any sense at all apart from the local church it assumes that you're part of the local church and so when someone tells me that oh i'm a christian i'm just not a part of the church then i first thing i think is that you either have not read the new testament or you have not understood it because there's no there's no such thing as a christian without a church and so being a part of the church but also the church being founded upon doctrine right so when you get to ephesians chapter 4 the very beginning what does paul say one spirit one body one lord uh, not in that order but he establishes a, a lot of key doctrines that we should all share we are united based upon the truth, where I think a lot of people today start with the unity and then try to define the truth that they're united on, which is the wrong way to go. Yeah, um, so, yeah, absolutely. ecclesiology yeah gets sacrificed.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I wanted to read a, a quote here from John MacArthur that, that I think gives the clearest and most succinct picture of what is really happening in America. Uh, and he says this, he says, America's moral decline is a spiritual problem not a political one, and its solution is the gospel, not partisan politics, and, and this kind of ties back in what we said at the beginning. I, I think far too many Christians have inadvertently, and, and I'm being grace, gracious here with that, um, made politics their God. I think I think some professing Christians are you know, just tears amongst the wheat and they're they're Christian only by name. But um, I think a lot of guys have gotten so accustomed to uh, politics, fixing things that that's where they put a lot of their faith. And But the reality is, um, you know, the moral decline that we're seeing, I think, is a result of God giving a world over to its degraded passions, right, um, to its depravity, and it's a sin problem. And when we say that, the problem is sin, and the solution is the gospel. I'm I'm amazed at how much pushback that gets. Right? It's a simple phrase, but if you understand the gospel, you should clearly understand what it means. Um, it, it's you can't. It, no matter of social, political, ideology, or reform or change is going to um, make an immoral person more moral. Right? Uh, it, it's just not going to happen. And so, if there, uh, let's just take racism for instance, because I'll, I will be uh, quick to admit that true racism exists. Is it systemic? Absolutely not. Not in our country. But does it exist? Sure, it exists, right? Because it's a product of sin. Um, but you're not going to take someone that genuinely hates another person solely based on their ethnicity and change that person just because you have a certain political party in or because you make a law. That's not going to fix the problem, and so it's just going to come out in other ways, right? You can restrict their behavior. That's good. Restricting, re- restricting bad behavior is absolutely necessary, in right, uh, unless it's an extreme thing. But the gospel is the only thing, that can save a person, you know, Christ comes in and makes them a new person, changes their heart, they repent for that sin, they're washed clean, and then, right, that person who was once a racist is now no longer a racist because Christ has dealt with that. That's, that's the only thing that's going to change um, so much of what social justicians are attempting to change by bringing in critical race theory and all of this other, um, I, I want to say stuff, but it, it really is garbage. Um, it's deceitful. It's, I, it's ironic because this, these worldly ideologies actually do the very thing they are saying they're fighting against. Right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, social justice today, I think the biggest problem, if I were to say it in one sentence, social justice is not justice. It's a deformed kind of form of justice, and what you are describing in terms of the gospel, the gospel addresses the heart, and change comes from the heart. I mean, it's Mark chapter 7 when Jesus told the Pharisees who were challenging him because his disciples didn't wash their hands, and he explained to them, it's not what is outside of you that defiles the inside. It's what comes from the heart, and we as pastors, we always— try to be careful not to become legalistic in our teachings we don't want our church to become legalistic but we want it to be motivated out of a love for god a love for christ yeah and so really we try to avoid legalism which is basically putting the law first or putting the commandments first and then making secondary our love for christ whereas really it should be our love of christ comes first and that leads us to obedience because of that love it's ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 when paul says therefore i implore you by you know to to walk the walk in the manner of that is worthy of your calling by, by which you've been called and he spends the entire first three chapters talking about that marvelous calling the marvelous heavenly blessings that we have been given and so i see a very direct correlation with what social justicians are trying to accomplish because they're not really addressing the heart they're trying to force it's forced modification it's it's behavioral modification rather than really addressing the the root issue and i agree with you the government exists for checks and balances so you want to have restrictions so that you restrict people from doing the kind of evil that takes away other people's livelihood Um, But at the same time, we recognize that ultimately change is going to come from the heart. And when people complain about the gospel not being the answer, my thought is, okay, well, you either don't understand the gospel, you don't understand the power of the gospel, you you know, it's something that's lacking in your understanding of the gospel, or or you're trusting God in working through the gospel. Because when you go to a church that really trusts the gospel, and I think it was Allie Beth Stuckey who mm. was watching an online service at Grace Community Church and she looked at the audience and she marveled. It was the first time she watched it. She marveled at how ethnically diverse Grace Community Church is. And, and it is, I've been there myself. I went there for a long time. Yeah. It is very ethnically diverse and yet ethnic diversity never gets discussed because it doesn't need to get discussed. Our shared hope is in Christ. When you go overseas and you know this as you know in your missionary work when you go overseas and you meet other believers the cultural background and the language barrier and all that it ultimately doesn't matter when you guys share a love of christ it's amazing how much in common we have
0: yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean, similar to you and I, right? I mean, we we found out that we're we're both brothers. We both love Scripture. We we both love the body of Christ. We're both serving the body of Christ, and so there's an instant um, camaraderie. There's an instant Amen. familia. Uh, relation there, but between the two of us, and you know, you have an Asian background, and I'm as white as a Scottishman can get. So, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it's it's interesting because a lot of these problems are very unique very uniquely just American, like they don't work outside the American context. The social justice stuff does not work outside of the American context. And I'll just give you a a good example of that. And then maybe let's, let's move on afterwards to kind of talk about the solutions. We talked about a lot of the stuff that we see, Um, you know, I've worked on the African continent for, you know, well over a decade. And let me just tell you, um, I don't think any of the social justicians would dare go to an African uh, country and say, oh, you guys are so racist because you have too many black people in your church. <laughs> I, it, it's just not going to happen, right? I, I don't think any social justiceian is going to go to Korea and go to a Korean church and say, "Gosh, you guys are just so racist over here. You we, you don't, you you have too many Koreans in your church. Where are all the mm-hmm. black people?" And, and we can go on and on and on. It, it just doesn't work outside of a very westernized, Americanized culture, um, and and that ought to be enough, right? If in principle you can't take the thing everywhere. That ought to be a big red flag. There are a lot of other big red flags, obviously, um, but so much of that is very crazy to me. And I think anyone who you don't have to be you know a, a trained pastor, a scholar, you don't have to have studied Hebrew and Greek to see the problems inherent in these things. You just need to take a breath, step back, and be a person that that studies and reads your Bible and can think. Right. You you can look and see that there are some very clearly wrong things in some of these ideologies. And so today, um, let's get to today, was just, I think, the culmination of, yeah, sinfulness to simplify it. um, You know, we've got President Trump who has been talking about, uh, you know, the election being stolen. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it is undeniable in fact, it is undeniable that there was fraud. Now, to exact what extent, I don't know. Um, you know how widely arranged it may or may not have been? I don't know. Um, but that there was fraud is abundantly clear. Um, but here's the reality. What we're looking at is, you know, it, Joe Biden... I don't know any other way around it is going to be inaugurated Um as far as everything as I can see. I don't like that. I think it's going to be terrible for the country. The left is absolutely opposed to anything godly. They're godless. Um, you know, they're set on immoralities upon immoralities and the murder of innocent children. It's not a good thing for our country. And yet I still have to recognize that, God sets up leaders, um, this is somehow God's doing and he uses means to do that. It doesn't mean I don't vote, right? It doesn't mean I don't fight uh, injustice in the right ways, um, but it does mean at the end of the day, we take a step back, we condemn violence as believers, and we can say, you know what, things are going to get rough, it looks like, but we can trust in God and uh, this is where we need to be. Christians should not right now be talking about civil war. Um, Christians shouldn't be trying to excuse what happened at the Capitol today. There is no right. excuse. Now, right. maybe there was Antifa uh, that, were, that was in the mix, right? I'm, I'm not going to say there wasn't. There probably was. I'm sure there were instigators there who just wanted to make genuine Trump supporters look bad. Let's assume that all that's true. Let's also assume that there were just Trump supporters who were also involved in all right. that. Um, it doesn't really matter. What matters no, is that, that that should never happen, and no Christian should be trying to justify that. I think the proper Christian res- response, uh, and you can talk to this, Ecky, would be, man, tonight, every believer ought to be so weeping over the sinfulness of this nation and the church that we're on our knees and we're begging for God's grace and to
1: help us through this oh amen amen Uh, we look at what's happening around the nation Um, we should be grieved Uh, we're seeing injustice before our eyes we're seeing people doing things that they should not be doing and I agree with you when we think about what happened in Washington DC I really don't care who it was that did it it was wrong it might have been 100 percent trump supporters it might have been a mix of trump supporters with antifa it might have actually been a bunch of antifa people who are all undercover wearing trump hats or maga hats and all that it doesn't matter it's wrong because because this is the problem with identity politics because identity politics ask the question who did it first before assessing whether it was wrong or not yeah. we as christians we can't do that that's partiality we as christians we look at the action and say no that's wrong i don't care who is involved and i think of ezekiel chapter Three, when Ezekiel was told, Look, Ezekiel, you're the watchman. You're the watchman. That means that you go up, and he uses that analogy of being a watchman. He's up in a watchtower. He's watching over for enemies that are coming. That's what a watchman does. And when enemies are to come, they're to alert the troops, they're to alert everyone inside the walls that danger is coming so people can get prepared. But in Ezekiel's case, God was using that illustration to point to the fact that Ezekiel, when you need to call out sin, you call out sin. And it doesn't matter whether they respond or not, you call out sin. And for us as the church, as we see the continued degradation of society, we see us devolving far below any place that I think we've ever been in our history. We have to stay faithful to being able to call sin, sin, to call people to repent and i agree with you we can grieve over the events of today we can grieve over the downward trajectory of the nation but then recognize that the church has a mission the church's mission is to share the gospel is to proclaim christ no matter how dark the situation is around us and god will bless that i mean he promises that his word does not come back void now It may be that we proclaim the gospel to thousands of people and only a few people repent and respond to that. You know, the results are not up to us. We're not Methodists. We're not kind of trying to come up with man centered strategies. Our call is to trust what the word of God says and to be faithful to it and to trust God with everything else. And that's really the bottom line. And what I liked you, you had talked about how. You know, if we take a social justice theology to another country, it no longer makes sense. And so I think the other function of the church is that we are to continue to grow in our knowledge of god's word that's ephesians 4 11 through 13 you know god gave these positions first prophets apostles evangelists pastors and teachers Mm -hmm. why so that we can build up the body so that we can serve one another and then you get down to i think verse 14 through 16 and that's when god talks about how we are no longer to be children tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine so we need to be able to strengthen our theology and the test one of the first tests of theology because if we believe that god's word is inerrant if we believe that is fully sufficient then we have to believe that it is inerrant sufficient and authoritative for every age no matter what the culture is no matter what country you go into no matter what language is involved no matter what the situation is god's word is universal it applies to every single situation and so one of the first tests of theology is that it's got to be able to export if it can't yeah. export to a country there's something wrong with your theology. So your theology should be able to hold up no matter what country you go to. So thinking about the answers, I mean, one, yeah, we do mourn over the nation. We remember that we are called to proclaim the gospel, but we also continue to grow in our knowledge of God's will and word and purpose so that we can continue to live it out more and more faithfully each and every day. And we formulate a gospel, a a theology that is both biblically based as well as intensely practical no matter where you go. Absolutely, and you know there, and there's a lot of tidbits in that. I mean, that's
0: really good stuff cky I, I mean, one is going back to identity politics, as a believer, my identity should never be attached to anything other than my faith in christ right i I think you know I, I don't know I, I guess we don't really teach Pilgrim's Progress anymore. We don't really grow up reading that, but it, you know, if we could get Christians to switch their mindset in America. To view the world we live in a little more like, right? Pilgrim's Progress. We're we're on a journey. Um, yeah. Our goal is the celestial city. That's where our home is. That's where we live. Yeah. That's where our, you know, that's where our allegiance lies. And and we have to live in this world. We have to trek through this world. We have to participate in this world. But that's our home. That's where our identity is. Um, that that would avoid a lot of of the identity. Politics problem and, and if you're listening and you're like, well identity politics I, I'm, I'm not involved in that well, I, I would just ask, so if you see if you're a Republican and you see a uh, Republican get attacked, is your first instinct to defend them because they 're republican right or if you're a Democrat and a Democrat gets attacked or or you know says that they're wrong, is your first instinct to defend them because they're a Democrat or is your, is your first posture one of, well, yeah, that's not God-honoring, or no, that's God-honoring. Um, it, 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 it's just a litmus test, right? Um, and, and I think if Christians in America felt the same way about their local body of Christ, their family in Christ, if we treated each other um, as strongly, and if we were as unified as sometimes it seems like we are with our political party of choice, I think things will be a lot different. And so, that's going to bring me back to what you said earlier. You alluded to it. I don't think you mentioned it specifically, but um, you talked about the importance of a local body, right? I mean, the Scripture is full of – the New Testament is full of clear implication of church membership. Right. Right? Uh, well, Well, one is because you you can 't expect to ever come under discipline if you 're not a committed member to a local body right, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we have all these other things um, that we can we can see membership as implied so there 's no such thing as a lone Christian. Uh, people get attacked to, attached to political parties, but i don 't know that we 're as attached to our own local Christian bodies as we should be, and so I would just recommend if if you found yourself kind of being a little more separated from your local body, get plugged in. That is God's plan for every Christian. Uh, the idea of a lone Christian is totally foreign to Scripture, um, and, and this is one, one way that we can strengthen the church. Um, another way, and these days, just like you have said, is to be a part of a biblical local church, um, and I will put a couple uh, references in the show notes. I'm going to link uh, Founders Ministry website. I'm going to link um, Grace Community Church's website. I'll link Paul Washer's website. Uh, Heart Cry. You can go to these websites and you can do a church search and look for healthy biblical churches in your area if you don't have one. But get plugged in. Submit to the the elders there, the pastors there, and be a part of a thriving christian community and give them more preference and more energy and effort than you
1: give a political party amen no i love that advice and what i would add to that which complements what you said really the church should be the center of our spiritual community Uh, you know we don't treat church as something that we just add on to our life once we are in christ church becomes the center of our human existence here on earth in my opinion And I'm going to echo what some of my seminary professors has taught me, one in particular, where he said that, you know, when you move to a new place, the the way people operate and they move to a new place, they find a job, they find a job, figure out what location it's in, and then they just go ahead and move there. And we understand that. I mean, that's very practical, but we really should include as part of that decision, which churches are nearby that are good churches to be a part of because the worst thing you can do is to move to a place where you're surrounded by a bunch of churches and none of them are biblically solid churches You know, so you want to be a part of a church that shares the same convictions that are found in scripture that has the same high regard for God, Jesus Christ, and his word and devotes itself to teaching his word and to counseling one another, encouraging one another, and really your existence, your spiritual community should revolve around that church. And today, unfortunately, what has happened is that a lot of people treat church as just like any other consumer service. And that's been the dangerous part of this shutdown. And even as in California early on when they were defining all the the, the plan for reopening, churches were like in the final stage of reopening mm-hmm. where shopping malls were opening before churches. And, of course, we've seen casinos, we've seen strip clubs, we've seen all kinds of other places that are deemed essential or more important than the church. And that really is just feeding into this consumer mindset that, yeah, church is just another service that can be added on once the rest of society is put back together but for the christian that's not the case for the christian church is non-negotiable yeah that that is our family in christ and that is who we bond with
0: yeah uh, that's a great point i i think if we view church it, too many people get hung up i mean especially in in the liberal christian so-called christian get hung up on using the word church and they say oh the church is in a building well Obviously, we don't mean that either. Um, although, if you look in Scripture, churches used both to describe the building of the gathering as well as the gathering itself. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of common sense, I think. Um, but, but that's true. If we understood the church to be like our, our own personal family, would you let the government come in and tear your spouse away from you and say, well, you know, that relationship isn't essential right now? No. Almost no one would be okay with that right um and and yet we've allowed the government to come in and do that with the church to come in and say, "Well, meeting with your church family isn't essential right now and and this is a this is one of the things that I think expo- exposed how poor ecclesiology we have, right because a lot of Christians just said through their hands up and said, "Oh, absolutely." Um, the The fear of of getting the virus is far more important than my life with my Christian brothers and sisters, although God has ordained that to be um, how how we live life and and so we 've got to redeem that I think and um, yeah so we 've got to start looking at the church as our family as our life, just as you said i mean you you, you said it really well uh, i you know so these are if you're listening and, and you've you 've stuck on social media all day <laughs> um, i i I suppose the great majority of people may be frustrated, um, just kind of exacerbated ready to to give up and uh, i you know what I would say is if that's you then. It's okay to take a break from social media, number one. Um, You know, number two is make an effort to spend time in prayer and reading your Bible. If you aren't doing that, then just go right now put this thing on pause and just set a time tomorrow. Uh, Maybe it's only five minutes. Maybe it's only 10 minutes, whatever it is, and get in the habit of doing that because um, if all you're taking in is worldly stuff then you can't expect um, to respond any differently than, stressful, you know, than to be stressed and to be worried. And at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself not trusting in God because you spend no time with God, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it's, it's a relationship, and it's sort of like, a, you know, you've probably used the illustration before. If a husband and wife never talk to each other, you know, Type of thing, you wouldn't expect that relationship to be a really good one. Now, God loves us despite our own faults um, and our and our own neglect in the relationship. But if you're not plugged in, um, if you're not praying, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not involved in your church, you know, then the world is going to rule your life, um, not the Word of God. And so we 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 say sola scriptura, Scripture alone. We say that Scripture's sufficient, that it's inerrant, um, that it's authoritative. We say those things, but I, I think we have discovered that we have lived in a society where it is so easy to say the right things and not believe those things, and we know that we believe them if we do them, right? Um, and and so we've got to get we've. I, I've gotten to the place where I actually don't really even care what someone says anymore. So you sign the statement. I can tell that
1: by your tweets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you,
0: you, 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 you signed the social justice statement. That's great. But then you put out an article uh, that's teaching critical race theory, mm. um, you know, or you, 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 you say that you're against, um, you know, you're against critical race theory, but then you, hire guys in your seminary who are talking about how they're forever going to be racist. And, and so we've got to, what you do is far more important than what you say. Um, maybe I do get myself in trouble in tweets occasionally. I try to be gracious. I really do. Um, I, I love people. I love the body of Christ. Uh, but but we've got to hold each other accountable. We've got to do it in a right way, in a loving way. But we can't be afraid to say, you know, that's, that's just not the truth, brother. Um, right. And And I think on... Twitter advice, totally going down a rabbit hole here. Um, I, I welcome any brother to ever inbox me and say, Hey um, man, that tweet was just way too caustic. I I don't know what's going on there. Maybe you want to check that. Um, I, I think, We all need to be better about receiving those things. Um, Twitter, you know, a good, Justin Peters once told me and, uh, and I fully agree with him that Twitter has a way of bringing out the worst in people. Mm, Um, And so we've got to guard our, our hearts against that. And Eki, I really appreciate your tweets. I think you do a fantastic job of that. Uh, Dustin binge is another one. I mean, that brother, he's the gold standard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, constantly just careful with what he's tweeting and things like that. And I'm worried that on Twitter, uh, we've gotten so caustic with one another that we just dis dismiss each other, you know, outright. Um, so that's my rabbit trail here, but you know, in terms of what we've been talking about, um, I, I think brother, we're going to have to brace ourselves for a different America
1: yes, in the I future.
0: Agree. Um, and maybe, maybe just wrap up for us and, you know, get, give give maybe speak to pastors out there quickly who are like well what should i be preparing for in terms of how i do church um maybe say something to you know uh believers who are going to churches out there just whatever you feel led to brother
1: yeah i I think we're going to hit a time in our history where the persecution of the church is going to become more prevalent. Now, you're not um, claiming to be a prophet, right? No, I'm not claiming to be a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go but ahead. We, but... we can certainly see the signs that are going on around us. Absolutely. And um, and, and we, we see, well, we've already seen that christian values are now being pushed out of Mm -hmm. the schools um christian values and we know the lgbtq would love nothing more than to persecute those who speak biblical truth about for instance homosexuality and the transsexual movement and all that well that's coming yeah that that's coming i mean if you looked at the the democratic uh, platform uh, leading up to the presidential election you would see lgbtq show up all over the place And that's not coincidental. That's not by accident. The LGBTQ is a very powerful movement that's really driving a lot of their agenda. So I think now, and especially now as we look into our future, we've got a Democratic president, which, by the way, if it goes from Biden to Kamala Harris, it's going to become even more extreme. Right, And we now have the Democrats who run all of Congress, both the Senate as well as the House of Representatives. So really, as long as they stay 100% in terms of voting for their own initiatives, they're going to push through some radically leftist initiatives and the church and the church's right to free speech. And often we can really place a huge emphasis on our First Amendment rights, you know, which I understand. Um, but the First Amendment rights are going to be attacked. And it's going to reduce what we can say. And then the test for us is going to be, are we faithful to what God calls us to do? So if you're a pastor out there and you're unsure about what's coming up, recognize that this is going to be the time where you're going to be tested on how much you are convicted about what the word of god says and your willingness to be able to stand strong on it and even be willing to sacrifice your own temporal comforts over it i think of paul when he first went into philippi right he was in philippi he was a roman citizen he didn't have to go through any of the difficulties he went through but he swallowed it and he allowed himself to be falsely accused to to be mistried to be beaten and then to be imprisoned and then he waited until an earthquake ended up opening up the doors and even then he didn't leave and he did it so that he can share the gospel with the jailer who was there and so we have to be willing to give up our own temporal comforts in order to do what is right before god and so you as a pastor any pastors who are out there If you have not started to prepare your church for what is coming, you need to do that right now. You need to be able to explain to them, hey, this is what I see coming. They're going to go after our freedom of speech. They're going to start saying that you can or cannot say this or that, but we have to be able to proclaim what the Word of God says and be willing to pay whatever price. That is exactly what happened with the the apostles, with the martyrs of the New Testament. That's what happened with people of the Old Testament. We stand first upon God. Our testimony is not for sale. And our hope, as you mentioned, and this is so important, you brought up the example of Pilgrim's Progress, and I love that example, because ultimately we recognize that we are sojourners here. And I love that Paul uses the analogy of a soldier. When you're a soldier and you go overseas, you're there on a mission. That is not your destination. That is your mission. You're there to accomplish a purpose before you're ultimately brought back home. And we will be brought back home eventually in the future after Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. returns and the eternal state is established. So we have to recognize this is not our home. And for when people say that you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I say, well, great, because the apostles were the same way. You know, Peter said, place your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, he being a Roman citizen who gave up his Roman citizenship just so he could share the gospel with that jailer, what did he tell the Philippians who were Roman citizens of the highest order? He told them, your citizenship is in heaven. He was very much heavenly minded. And the only time he ever appealed to his Roman citizenship was in order to share the gospel. Yeah. And so, we have to have that heavenly mindset. We need to be prepared and be and start bracing for what's to come. And the best way to do that is to just read through what they went through in the gospel accounts. So, you read through what the apostles went through in Acts and in the church epistles, read through what the prophets went through in the Old Testament. Church history, too, is filled with examples of people who are willing to die for the faith. And so, Pastors need to prepare their members for that. If you're a Christian at a church, you want to make sure that you are in the scriptures, that you are in prayer, you are growing in your knowledge and understanding of God. And as Peter wrote to his audience, you want to be prepared at all times to give a defense for the hope that is within you. And so this is how we prepare for what's coming because things quite honestly are going to get harder, but we can be like Paul where we find contentment in all situations and we can say, I can do all things through God who strengthens me.
0: Yeah. Amen. Thank you, brother. You know, this will purify the church. Um, yeah. You know, I, the, the Roman Empire rose and fell, and I wrote this on, on Twitter, and the church remained. And you know what? The truth is, America may fall one day, but guess what? The church of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will continue on. It's not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be tampered with. Um, And so, while we hope America lasts, um, ultimately, we're sojourners here, and our focus needs to be on Christ, um, our you know, our joy, our contentment needs to be rooted in Him, not on our political circumstances. And you know, if we'll set our focus there, then we'll be fine. Um, so, well, Eki, thank you, brother, for joining us. Really appreciate you. And yeah, to our audience, thanks for listening to this special off-the-cuff conversation episode. And just remember, <laughs> until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast